You're listening to The Only Constant, where we explore how minor change brings lasting hope. On this episode of the podcast, we spoke with Nia Alexander. Nia is a senior at Florida State University, earning her BFA in acting. She's been involved with theater since sixth grade and has recently found a passion for modeling. Her experiences as both actor and model have pushed her towards becoming a creative director, someone who oversees creative projects and deals with many different mediums at once. Nia doesn't always have to be in the spotlight as her fulfillment comes from her ideas coming to life. Nia has encountered tokenism in the modeling world and the wider world in general. She gets frustrated when she feels like she simply checks a box for someone's agenda, such as being the only black person in her BFA acting and musical theater class. We talk with Nia more about how race, in her opinion, is a social construct. People view her as black because that's what they've been told to do. Nia shares a song that brings her hope, called Mango by Kamau, in which the chorus sums up her feelings toward others. Because I love you. Stay open, stay active, and keep listening. Hello, my friend. Hey. Thanks for coming. Of course. Let's start with your name and pronouns. My name is Mia Nicole Beyonce Alexander. Uh, the Beyonce is sometimes silent. And my pronouns. That's <laughs> <laughs> like you were serious for a second. I was like, what? <laughs> I used to tell people my name was Beyonce in high school, and I had forced high school teachers to call me it. Nice. Would, Anyways, they, would they say it? Yes. Okay. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Okay, and they cool. would say it. And it would be embarrassing because it's like, I'm like, actually, Beyonce has its roots in Nigerian culture. So if you don't call me Beyonce, you know what I mean? Oh, I would definitely gosh. Be. Why you really turned it on? Yeah. <laughs> You yeah. turned it right around. <laughs> the same way that, like, in middle school, when my pa- my parents would give me a standard lunch, I would just be greedy. And yeah. I'd be like, oh, you know, I don't have any food to eat. So you know, to get more food. The way, that, <laughs> the way that I have used, like, people's prejudice against them, and I'm like, that was your fault in the first place yeah. for not being educated the enough. The you're exploiting people. <laughs> yeah. Smart, uh, though. Right? <laughs> Okay. I'm like, well, I have told people that, like, I, I am black because of chocolate milk. And they really, and I'm like, well, oh, again, oh this was, God. like, middle school. But I'm like, not my fault that you went yeah, home no, and told your friends that. Yeah. Well, yeah. what are you into doing? What is your thing? What are you studying? Ooh. Who are you? <laughs> in one word. <laughs> yeah. Um, All of those questions here. in one word. <laughs> yeah. Resin. Yeah, yeah. I am studying theater. I'm a BFA acting major at the illustrious Florida State University. I'm into theater, but I'm into a lot more. I'm realizing I really want to be a creative director. I really have a lot of images for either music videos, for brand ideas, for poems, books, whatever, movies. But I am not the one who's going to put the pen to the paper, you know, write it. But I would love to share my ideas and see them be produced by other people and see Mm. what other people spin on it, you know? Okay. And also, I recently started modeling about two years ago, so I'm in the process of trying to book an agency, have that together. But then I also realized I joined Strike Magazine, tea on them. Ew. Uh, and then yeah, really? yeah, 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 yeah. The whole there's a whole story there. So then after them, I joined DWF magazine, and basically I have these concepts that I put together, and then we hire models, and we get a photographer, get makeup and everything, and we execute them. And that brings me more fulfillment than modeling myself, because that's a lot of pressure oh. and it's like a lot of subjectiveness. But just being able to see the idea come to fruition, that's something. Before I was like, I am the idea. I want to be the actor. I want to be the model. I want to be the director. And I'm like, mm, I just want the idea to exist, but that doesn't mean it has to be through me mm-hmm. personally. 
Dang. Okay, so, like, how did you... How, let's just start with how you got on the track to theater, and then right. we can segue <laughs> yeah. into all of this all wonderful of stuff. Yeah. So, I started theater when... It was sixth grade. I was... So, I was at the top of my class, and my brain, the way my brain worked, I'm not going to say that it was right, but I was in a class that was typically for students who were kind of at the bottom of our class academically. So me being a stuck up biatch in the sixth grade, <laughs> I was like, why am I in, it was the speech and debate class basically. And I was like, why am I in this class? Like, I'm, I'm really smart. Why am I in this class with all these people? And there was only about eight other students. And I was just like, so annoyed. I tried to get out of it. And then my principal basically was like, you can't drop a class because you think you're too smart for it. And I was like, are you sure? I think there should be a rule. Anyways, I stuck with it. <laughs> my teacher was fresh out of college. He was 22. And he was trying to teach speech and debate, but he really should have been a theater teacher. He would make us do the assignments, and I would just act a fool because everyone else in my class was acting the fool. He's like, he's like five foot two. We're like the same height. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like standing on desks, like dancer. Like, actually, this is the one class that I will say that is when I started to act out. That's when I started to be a clown and realize it's fun to just piss teachers off. <laughs> so then I was kind of failing the class, not because I wasn't doing assignments, but because all of my speeches would be like, trees and vampires like i would just like make like i would act like i'm about to do a speech and then i would just present some bs and he'd be like everyone would be laughing but he'd be like no you need to do this and i'm like no but i'd have them written out you know because i was okay. a smart kid so basically he pulled me aside and said you're failing my class and i was like oh i forgot these grades matter and you know academics were important to me and he said that if i didn't like start doing better in class, you know, of course it would be on my report card for that quarter. Mm -hmm. So then he said that I had to do the Shakespeare Recitation Club. He really wanted me to audition for that. And he said if I did that, that could count as one of my speeches, which would mm. basically bring my grade up to like B or A, whatever, whatever out the failing zone. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'd rather fail. Honestly, I grew up thinking that theater was useless. I never <laughs> saw myself and like my parents, Excuse me. My parents have always said that I was dramatic, but I never like was never into theater. It was never even on my brain. And then seriously, the night before, I stayed up all night memorizing the poem. It was I want to say Sonnet 136 um, from Shakespeare, and I couldn't sleep. And I am pretty religious, and I would say that that was an act of God for me. I just felt something tugging on me, telling me go, go audition. Even though I did not want to do, it. I thought it was lame. I thought it was embarrassing. It was just telling me go do this thing, go do this thing, go do this thing. And I wake my mom up at like six in the morning and she's like, you you want to go to school early? Are you kidding me? Why did you not think to tell me this last night? And I'm like, mom, God. You know? I was like, I was like God brought us here. Like, come. And she was like, oh, she was so angry. Mm. She took me there and I started performing the sonnet and I had never felt more like myself. And I was like a completely different character. Mm. And I was so confident and... I would love to say I love Shakespeare, but no, I just love talking. I loved all the attention I did. I loved the whole process of doing that sonnet. I loved just being up there and just, I felt very free. Yeah. And mm. so then I decided to join the club for real after my teacher manipulated me, which I now know he totally could not have done. Like, I'm thinking about it now and I'm like, I feel like he was lying to me. Because how did he trick me into going and joining the Shakespeare team? But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up doing that for the next two years. And my first time I got like a, I don't know, 
know if I placed, but I know two of the years out of middle school, I got an honorable mention, then I got third place. And that was something for me. I really liked winning awards. Sweet. And so I was like, hmm, I'm pretty good at this. I like doing it. And I felt like a family, even though everyone was so different who was on the recitation team, we were also loving and sharing and like nerdy in the best way and just very passionate about supporting each other and helping each other out. And our teacher was crazy. He did leave our middle school after I graduated. I will say that. He stuck it out for me, and then he was like, done with this. Um, <laughs> so then in high school, I continued with the Shakespeare Recitation Club. And my junior year, I actually got first place in North Carolina. And I went to the national competition where I competed in Lincoln Stage. Yeah, Lincoln Stage. Okay. Yeah. And we got to take a tour of, like, NYU and... That confirmed it for me. That was enough validation. Okay, I'm going to actually jump back to freshman year because that was junior year. Okay. Freshman year, I was like, I guess I like theater, but I don't want to do Shakespeare anymore. And I couldn't sing or dance. So they had the Crucible auditions. And I went to a very white school. And they, they, they saw me and they were like, oh, thank God. Literally, the stage manager said, thank God a black person auditioned. And I was like, wow. This is really, really sad, guys. (laughs) But I did audition, and I did, uh, I was cast as Tichaba. And I had a really shit Barbadian accent. I listened to Rihanna videos online. (laughs) (laughs) My accent. And I won an award at our national, or not our national, our statewide theater competition for my role as Tichaba when they came to see our show. And that was my freshman year, and I was like, huh, I really like doing this. And it seems like other people are kind of like, yeah, like seeing her do the thing. Yeah. And I just continued with that. In high school, all I did were plays. I will say I was once cast as Motormouth Maybell's understudy in Hairspray. Just so interesting because I cannot sing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can't sing? What? Well, I've been taking I've been taking voice lessons at Florida State. I feel like I've heard you sing, and it's but okay. it's been yeah it's been okay. But at that time, I really could not. Okay, okay. And I also was in chorus, like I was in honors women's chorus, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. could not sing. We just had a lot of people interested in music, and they kind of just let you do whatever you want. It was a public school; you didn't really have to be great. Okay. So that's why, again, when I was getting awards, it was like I knew my school's theater program was so loose. It wasn't mm-hmm. a real education. It was for people who actually wanted to do it because there were so few people who wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So anytime I was awarded outside of school, I was like, wow, this is kind of starting to feel real. Mm-hmm. So you're from North Carolina? Yeah. Mm. Okay. But this junior year experience for you gave you the confidence to like keep yeah. pursuing. Yeah. And even though I did not place in the national competition, I just loved being around other really talented young people mm. who had the same creative mindset, who were very open and just like vocal about their opinions, very strong in who they were, and strong in what they were passionate about. Mm -hmm. And a similar experience, I went to UNCSA's summer theater camp after my freshman year of high school. And it was just like that, again, being around a bunch of people who have the same values, care about the same things, but are also individuals and unique in their own personalities, you know? Mm -hmm. We aren't just all robots. I love that UNCSA theater program so much. I'm still friends with a lot of people there, and I see them do cool things. One's at Cooper Union. One went to UNCSA for college. One's at NYU. One's at Hartford. Like, Whoa. I don't know. I've just met all these people through theater as well, and it's just gained a sense of, like, I've always felt like someone who I didn't ever fit in one box. And people yeah. kept trying to put me in a box, and I was like, not going to work. But then it was also <laughs> confusing for me because there was no box. You know, I'm like, 
wait, so what is going on? Like when you said, who are you? I was like, oof. Yeah, no, that's hard Like what anybody. is going on here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of theater people are just dipping like that as well. Okay. So what year are you at, at FSU right now? I'm a junior. You're a junior, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And when this comes out, you'll be going into your senior year. Yes, I will be. Mm-hmm. So you were really into theater in high school, mm-hmm. and obviously it carried over into college. Have you learned anything new in college? Has it, has it oh. only made it grow more? You don't understand. When I came here for my freshman year, I didn't even know what given circumstances were. Which, okay, I don't know if you know what they, but it's just like the most, ba- I didn't know stage directions. Our theater in high school was so fun. We would recreate high school musical videos. Yeah. That was and, class, huh? Yeah. Or like when we studied Greek mythology, we all dressed in togas and like did a drama. Nice. That's fun, though. It was super fun. Yeah. But it was not serious. Right. Which is, again, that's what came in a lot of doubt with my about myself because I was like, well, I'm, I knew I was kind of playing child games in the theater world. And yeah. I was like, I don't know if this is at the level of people. There are some people who've been doing theater since they were four or five, always been in acting classes, once to art school and like great for them, happy for them. I just didn't have the opportunity or even know about that type of thing. Yeah. I had to beg my parents to let me major in theater. First time I said it, they just laughed at me and laughed and laughed. Because again, I was at the top of my class. like. My teachers wanted me to go to Ivy's, and I was like, no, I want to major in theater at somewhere warm. Thank you yeah. very much. And everyone was just very upset. There was a lot of expectations. It was like, this is what you could be. And I'm like, well, I could be anything. Why only limit myself by saying I can only be successful yeah. in this avenue when I can be successful in theater too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, yeah. And so you got to college, and you're here now. Yes. And you've learned, a, from what you said, you've learned a lot. I would say about theater. I learned a lot my freshman year, my sophomore year. It was on Zoom. I learned True. how to be a person that that's year. Good, <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that's a big part of college too. Mm-hmm. No matter what's happening. I mean, I kind of, but I also want to know more about like modeling because you yeah. said that you jumped in it in like the past two years. Yeah. So that's not something that you had any like pre-exposure to. Well, I did want to no. say we, we should talk about that, and it sounds like maybe that's going to be your future plans and I wanted to ask you you're in college you're getting ready for senior year mm-hmm. what's next as far as acting goes and then you know also how does uh, modeling and everything fit in yeah so my plan is I would love to have a modeling agency but like fall <laughs> like I feel like I need have to do that no, be, part be a part of okay, one okay. No, no, not have my own <laughs> be a part of one. Yeah. yeah I'm young in the best health of my life and have relatively small issues compared to the grand scale of humanity you know right so i'm like for modeling especially they have a very specific type i'm already out that mold but i'm already like fuck that mold you know but i do understand that like there's a certain time frame for modeling because that's just the way the world is and their perspectives are just weak as hell and they only want to see one sort of thing they really only want to see women who are young and in their glory days Aren't there different stages of my like if you're going if you're trying out things for and right now you are young so that mm-hmm. would be the the demographic but if you're you know forty fifty sixty yeah. and you're trying to sell clothes to older women wouldn't yeah. you try to yeah find no there that? there definitely are and I want to continue doing that I just want to get my start because modeling. I really like modeling, but it's just my start. It's kind of just like my way in. Right. You got to start. It's just yeah. like what they're looking for. We want like yeah. young, glowing, yeah. beautiful. My way in into the industry as a whole. 
because I look at like TikTokers who are in movies. I look at famous models, IG models on Instagram who are in movies, and I'm like, hmm. No, there's. I know. I know. <laughs> it's, it's so upsetting that I'm getting my BFA degree to see us. I know. Interpret Millie a star. <laughs> it actually hurts my soul. And then I look at how successful the Kardashians are from the reality TV show and BBLs. Uh, and I'm like, imagine if they took someone who kind of fit whatever standard, but who could also act. And mm-hmm. that is where I come in. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I feel like modeling is not going to be my thing forever. I do really enjoy doing it. And I do think that there is time for it in the future as well. I just feel like that's the thing I could probably capitalize on the most now. Mm-hmm. Especially, I don't know if you guys have been seeing in like advertising, how they're going for diversity. They yeah. really want to, a lot of companies really want to act and show like they care. So who are they hiring? I'm seeing a lot more people who look like me being hired than usual, than yeah. before. And I'm like, especially now that everyone's kind of aware of their white guilt, maybe, again, like you talked about with the milk, with the milk capitalize, yeah, capitalize yeah. on the disadvantages that have been presented in front of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say, like, for Strike Magazine, I did feel very tokenized. I was the cover of their magazine last fall, and then they took me off the magazine this summer, I mean, this spring, and did not tell me. I had to, like, text a girl and be like, I haven't what? received any information. Took you off the magazine mm-hmm. as a whole? Yeah, so I used to work for the magazine, but then I also was a model. Mm-hmm. And I was their cover model, you know, front, center, magazine, like, designed around my image low-key. And then this spring, they took me off because during our feedback, I had been honest, and I thought that the creative director was condescending. I thought that she was rude. I thought that she wouldn't allow us to exercise our creativity as well. And I was like, what's the point of being a part of this magazine if it's just this one girl mm-hmm. with her hand in mm-hmm. everything? And instead of coming to talk to me or address my concerns, they literally straight up took me off the magazine. I texted the girl and I was like, hey, what's going on? She left me on red for a while. And then when she did respond, she said that, hey, Nia, we had to downsize our team. And we think that your talents would best be used modeling and not on our team. But, you know, you can always apply for next year. And I've been on this magazine for two years. And I'm like saying that you think my talents, like you're not even giving me a choice. You're like. Oh, we only want you in this capacity. We only want your face. We want your image. We don't want your brain. We don't want to hear your voice. We don't want to hear what you have to say. Is basically what that was like. So I would. I want to know how you feel, or what do you define as being tokenistic? Because Ted and I have run into this experience before mm-hmm. having the podcast, and it's like, how do you juggle, or how do you not seem to be tokenistic, mm-hmm. or how do you, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. am I, it's like, oh, are we having Nia on because you're black? Oh, like, wow. is that what's like? I actually never thought about that. Well, how about? Yeah, I would love to know how. Yeah, can I frame it in this mm-hmm. way? In the sense of like, we always ask people, what do you not want to talk about? Mm-hmm. And potentially, you know, people in the past have said, I don't want, necessarily want to talk about race because I wouldn't want to feel tokenized and completely, completely understand that. Of course. And of course that wouldn't be the only topic of conversation, but I guess I'm asking to say like at that point, how how does any discussion get had if being asked about it becomes tokenistic? That's like, and you know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. this is a twofer. I'm going to address you first and then I'll go back to the tokenism. But with that, I feel like every individual has their right to talk about it. Not personally, I used to be, I would still consider myself an activist, but I honestly say I would, I would say I'm more proud of my activist behaviors when I was younger. 
I was extremely outspoken. I was the one trying to start protests at my school, organizing fundraisers at every protest. But that was tiring. It was really, really tiring. And at first, I did go to a very closed-minded and somewhat racist high school. The N-word was said to me multiple times to my face. The school didn't handle it. If anything racist occurred and then I told them, they would be like, well, what did you do to incite this? And I'd be like, how did I? Yeah, so I had a lot of, I had a lot of experience with people actively trying to make me mad. Like just serious, just blatant racist in my class, just trying to make me upset. And after all that, and then when Black Lives Matter and the peak of what was that, like 2019, 2020? Yeah. A lot of white people started to realize that their thought processes were indeed inherently racist and they were trying to change their behavior. And I was like, oh, you can use me as a resource. I want to start the conversation. We can talk about it. That was even more exhausting, the amount of white people that came to me that I had to sit and explain basic things that I've like known my entire life. Really? Yeah. And it's not like I didn't want to do it. It's just like, no, it's- like imagine having to piece by piece your experience and then people being like, well, I just don't see it that way. And I'm like, this is, this see, is my that, life, okay. you know? And wait. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's rough. I even had like, I had a relationship with someone who I thought I was very, I was pretty intimate with them. I thought they really cared about me. And then they had complete opposite views and they were a white man. And I'm like, I get that we all have opposite views. Actually, as a black woman, I have to be even more tolerant of views that are literally against my life because I simply... Like, if I get mad at, like, a white man for something, he says, who's going to, who, who is more likely to either get the police called on them to get hurt and who is more likely to go off scot-free and to have nothing happen to them? You know, even in situations where I've been like, oh, I really want to say something, sometimes I got to shut my mouth because I'm like, sadly, I know how the world works and I personally would like to try my heart to survive. But anyways, I was basically in a relationship with someone who would not validate my experience at all, not even, like, I don't, I don't, I have never seen it that way. I've never heard this, but I'm just going to take it for your word. Seriously would not even listen to me. And I'm like, do you understand that there are just a myriad of experiences that white men especially will just never understand? And I'm like, nobody can blame you. That's, that's how the world has worked. But if I'm trying to tell you my experience and you're not listening and you think that you have a say on whether I'm valid or not, that was extremely harmful. And then Mm -hmm. again, like just people texting me all the time and then being like, I talked to my dad about Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, thank you. Here's a I'm like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to say in this situation. Mm-hmm. And then like people would just, it felt like sometimes they weren't even like consuming the resources. They just want to be like, check it out on my list. I agree with you 100%. Obviously, you don't have to talk about anything. Like I'm Jewish and I don't necessarily need to right. sit there. But yes, like if you're happy to talk about it, then you should. Yeah. And I, And you know, Never ever gonna sit here and say, "Well, if you're black, you should mm-hmm. talk about why." Right. Because you should talk about your experience, but it's it's more along the lines of like like asking the question doesn't automatically necessarily make right. me trying to be tokenistic. I'm just wondering. No. The and the, I think that's why it's different from tokenism. Like for example, Dylan, my friend, we've had so many conversations that I'm like. But it hasn't ever felt like a burden with her. It is in different instances. That's why I said I think it depends on the individual. Because sure. there are sometimes people have asked me about stuff and I'm like, 
I am not Google. You can literally Google that. You can look up critical race theory. I don't need to sit here and explain this to you. Right. But then there's other times when people just have genuine questions about my experience. And I do the same, even though I am a part of the LGBTQ community, I have friends with who are trans who have different experiences. And I'm like, so what is this like? Like, what would you do in this situation? Because I just want to know and I want to learn. And I don't think that curiosity is ever bad. It's just like, how open is the person that you're talking to? For different reasons, I may be open or not. Usually my hair, I'm usually, except Caleb, I'm usually not open to discussing <laughs> my hair or like, no, Caleb's, but I'm saying, but every anytime Caleb has asked, I have been okay with it and I have been receptive. But with other people, I've been approached at the club. And usually because I'm, I'm worshiping your hair. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I really want to make sure that Caleb does not feel bad because Caleb is doing a great job. <laughs> yeah. But other people when like, Thanks. oh, I was at the Wilbury two weeks ago. This girl comes up to me and I watched her and it's different between two white women. Both of them had curly hair. One random stranger goes up to my friend Dylan and is like, I love your hair. She starts touching Dylan's curls. Dylan starts touching the other girl's curls. And I'm standing back looking like, what is, why is, is this a petting zoo? What is happening? You know what I mean? And I'm just like scared because I'm like, please don't touch my hair. Please don't touch my hair. Please don't touch my hair. I just don't like my hair being touched in certain circumstances. <laughs> but usually I don't. And yeah. then later on in the night, same girl comes up to me. She tries to touch my hair. I go, oh, thank you. And then she goes, you have such nice teeth. Open your mouth. I just want to see your teeth. And I literally felt like I was being sold like in Get Out. Like she was like, you have such nice oh teeth. Just open. It was so incredibly weird. And girl was not getting the vibes that I was not with it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't think that urge to learn or ask or even have someone of a different experience is because I think that's right. Like, if I'm sharing my experience and other people are learning from me, that is the ultimate goal. You know, that is how you develop empathy. I think the tokenism comes when it Maybe is, becomes generalized. It would or... be like if you had me on here, but then you didn't want you didn't have you didn't allow me to have freedom of the questions or like you said talking about things that i didn't want to talk about if you had me on only for your specific purpose and benefit you know and, what i and mean and also I, mm. I think you brought up another good point which is tokenism can definitely be like if we had you on here and i was like so can you explain black lives matter because yes. you are black and yes. it's like dude you can okay yeah yeah you yeah, can yeah. look that up and read yeah. about it and yeah all those different things associate yeah. you know what i mean mm -hmm. so but it's yeah. different than being like Nia, tell us about your experience. Yeah. Mm. I feel like tokenism to. is super surface level. So yeah. it's like when I feel tokenized, like for example, for that magazine, I could kind of tell they were like, it's just like a feeling when I'm like, mm, I'm not here for the right reasons. Like mm. I noticed a lot of the magazines around Florida State, they were hiring me, but they weren't hiring a lot of other black models. It felt like it was just me and then a couple maybe light-skinned models, too. And that's when I was like, okay, when I'm noticing there's a trend, when I'm noticing it's, like, not a variety of experiences when it's only this one thing, because in other people's minds, seeing a black woman in a magazine might clue in diversity and inclusion. And that's when I feel like more of, like, an experiment, <laughs> a guinea pig, yeah. uh, tokenized. Yeah. Um, for example, my class, I'm the only black person in the BFA and musical theater class. I feel extremely tokenized. Oh, my gosh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. It is hell here, yeah. Are there any other races, or is it just white and then... Yeah, we have two people of Latino and Hispanic descent. I will say they are very white passing. Yeah. But they... Still yeah, like yeah, yeah, we still have... We have two other people. Okay. And one of them has been a help. The other one... He's funny as fuck. Um, <laughs> one, of them, <laughs> one of them has been a help and tried to support me. But there have been times when, like... I remember, for example, there was an instance during Rockstars, our freshman year, we have to pretend, we have to study a 
rock star in the musical industry and then become them for a performance. Now, I wanted to do Beyonce. I wanted to do Erica Badu. I wanted to do Aretha Franklin. I wanted to do so Shaka Khan, so many different people. But my teacher refused. She said, I want to see you do Tina Turner. Now, I know the three black girls before me had all done Tina Turner. Correct. And all the white people are like, ooh, can I do this? They have, they're suggesting all these like rock stars. And I'm like, I don't even know who these people are. Like, what about my culture? What about the rock stars in my culture? And I have this older white woman telling me they're not a rock star. And I'm like, how are you going to tell me Aretha Franklin is not a rock star? Like, how are you going to tell me how my culture is? How are you going to set the rules for me? And then she, I was like... Can, I just want to do anyone but Tina Turner. Why are you forcing me? And my class was getting frustrated because we were in a group discussion and it was taking a while. They wanted to like move on. It was taking a while for us to wrap it up. But I couldn't articulate to anyone. I was like, I know this is a microaggression. I know this feels wrong. But I didn't know how to say, ah, this isn't like quite, I wouldn't call it racist, but something about the situation when I have 17 white people yelling at me and just telling me to be Tina Turner because they want to see me uh, do the proud Mary. They want to see me shake and dance. That just felt very wrong to no, me. That's weird. And I didn't, and every my even my closest friend was like, Nia, we just want to get through it. Please just pick. Like she wasn't even processing. It wasn't even on her mind how that was tormenting to me. How that was so belittling to me. How mm. I felt that like so I'm just here so you can see me sing and dance and this that's all you want to see from me, obviously. Um, so that's an example of how when I am tokenized, it's just it's like grateful to be here. You know, I am grateful that I got into this program, but I am the only black person in my class. And I'm like, why is that so? There are so many other talented black people. Mm-hmm. How did I make it? And I'm like, sometimes I feel because I am different, because I also, there is a stereotype for black women. And in the white view, I don't fit exactly that stereotype. It's like, I've grown up around white people a lot. You know what I mean? I do know some black people who do not fuck with white people at all. I respect them as fuck for that. But I've grown up with white people all my life. And I I do, I I. I'm friends with people of all races, and I honestly do seek friendships with all races, and uh, white people included. So sometimes I'll feel like... Wait a minute, we're friends? <laughs> <laughs> it's because you asked about her hair. <laughs> no, honestly. No, it's because he's a redhead, honestly. Yeah. That's another thing. We should Don't talk even about redhead yeah. and black people. There is a connection there. I feel like... What about so, Jews and black people? Why? I, okay, honestly, I want your opinion on this. As a Jewish person, have you ever felt directly in opposition to black people? No. Really? Um, that might have to be with how I was raised. You mean like as a minority group? Oh, yeah. Is that what you're trying you to say? You mean like yeah. opposition as in we don't, black people don't like Jewish people or no. opposition as in who's had it worse? No, no, like. Because <laughs> I've heard that before God. too. I've heard that before. No, Jewish people don't like black people. Okay, so I can't speak for all Jewish people. Um, of course, yeah, I'm asking your experience. I can't be tokenized as a Jewish person. I'm just hey, kidding. I'm just hey. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. Um, so I don't really, I've never experienced that. There's actually Ethiopia, if you didn't know. Mm-hmm. They're Jewish? Has a huge Jewish population. There's a lot of Jews in Ethiopia. That's super cool. Um, now, in the United States, I have never ever, I was never raised in a racist environment. Mm-hmm. So I've had zero prejudice. People in my life have had zero prejudice. Um, maybe, maybe very orthodox Jews are mm-hmm. racist. I have no idea. Um, mm. But I definitely understand what you're saying because there is a level of like, in a way, sometimes, you know, I'll, maybe I'll joke around about it, but in a way, sometimes I feel like a black guy and a Jewish guy are like complete opposites. Yeah. And 
that's and it's just a joke. I don't actually feel that way, mm-hmm. but it's it's really about culture, I think. Yeah, it's so because so- because sorry, I didn't mean to, but like, you know, black culture and Jewish culture are just very different. Right. Especially like me being of European Jewish descent. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I'm Jewish, but I'm white. Like mm-hmm. I'm a white person. Yeah. Um yeah, so I are. grew up in white culture. You know <laughs> no what I mean? one's disagreeing with <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> uh, but like I would be interested to to see what how it would be how would I connect with an Ethiopian Jew? Right. I think it would just be probably completely different experiences, yeah. but I think it would say something about there's a war too. Pe- that too and it's it's just Anyway, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I feel like I've never had any personal negative anti-Semitism. Um, is that a double negative? Yeah, An- I think. What do you mean negative? Yeah, anti- I said, negative yeah. anti-Semitism, I mean, yes. I was going to say I've never had negative feelings towards the Jewish community yeah. or like anti-Semitism. But I will hear about it online and it really just befuddles me. Sometimes I will hear about issues and I'm like, so who is hating this other group? Because I've really never seen that. I've never experienced that. I don't know any black person that actually feels that way, but I'll hear about it happening somewhere. And I'm like, so I can't say that it doesn't happen, you know, just because I have an experience, it doesn't mean it's not going on. I'm just like, where are these tensions? How did they arise? And I also think about, Hmm. with tensions between most groups, like if we think about, I don't know if you guys know much about this, you probably do, colorism, tensions between darker skinned people and lighter skinned Mm -hmm. people, and the black community and the Hispanic community and the Indian community, it's all like rooted in, it stems from like, who's trying to, get the most attention and be the most liked kind of by like white people. Like <laughs> I have a I actually have an interesting question for mm-hmm. you that I've thought about. One of the most confusing aspects I think of all of the things happening in the United States and around the world in general really bringing attention to I should say bringing more attention to background. It, it's not even just race anymore. It's yeah. very much about culture and ethnicity. ethnicity and yeah. So what I wanted to ask you is sometimes it feels like, because it is a very important conversation to have, it feels like maybe it can be difficult. Like, oh, is it going to be racist if I ask about this? Mm-hmm. Or is it is it going to be racist if I wear this or yeah. listen to this? or And so yeah. sometimes I feel like is are all of these dividing lines because as much as like appreciating your own culture is great mm-hmm. are the dividing lines potentially causing more tension too Does they could be but i think i think i don't know me personally the dividing lines and what you just said i feel like are two different things i feel like the dividing lines are like culture but more of what you said i think white people really should be fact checking am I being racist all the time? Because it's something that you're raised to be. It's something you have to unlearn. For me personally, I will speak on, I I had to unlearn a lot of fat phobia for myself. And every time I- A lot of, of what? Fat phobia. Fat phobia. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like fat shaming. So every time I have a thought about someone's bodies, I literally mentally be like, bad. What are you doing? Because that's the only, yeah. is if you hold yourself accountable, that's the only way you get better. And there's been plenty of times that I probably have said, thought, done the wrong thing. But I'm always open to someone telling me, hey, that wasn't cool. And I'm like, okay, I'll actually try my hardest to keep that in mind. Can't say that I'll fix it right now, but I'll try my hardest to really work on it. But the dividing lines, I do think, because I think about that more in the t- our two-party system. And like, if you align so hardcore with one thing, it does separate you from other things. Mm-hmm. I think for blackness, like for me personally, I won't speak on everyone. I align so hard with it because 
I like to, okay, you know, race is a social construct, of course. And I like to think of like black is how people perceive me. Less my soul is not black. My soul is not any color. My soul is not a woman. My soul is my soul. But I was raised in a black woman's body. And not because of me inherently, but because of how people perceived me. I learned and experienced a lot of things. So then when I align so hardcore with blackness, it's because my blackness has always been defined how white people see me. And now I can finally define it by a group of people who share similar experiences and what we really like, you know, what we're into, what's good for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I do, it's hard because so, I don't think it necessarily divides. I just think it's hard to imagine a world. Malcolm X was talking about this, that black people should have had a chance to be in a community and see what we'd be like without the views of whiteness and how white people define, describe us, put us in a box. And I like to think that, but then I'm like, I know so many dope ass white, Asian, Hispanic people that if I was just in a community with black people, I would enjoy that, but I'd also be missing out on a slew of experiences and personalities. Well, yeah, and I agree with you. I like what you said. I have never really heard, I didn't even know Malcolm X said that. I Mm -hmm. I didn't, I've never heard of that, but I hope the future of that becomes, okay, now let's stop defining everybody by race. You're not, you're not white. Yeah. You're not black. You're just, You're just a, a shade of the human and we rainbow. we should do that with gender. We should do that with sexuality. I personally usually fucking hate labels. And that's because I used to... I've written poetry about this. I've had, like, talks with myself. I have so many voice memos on my phone about what my identity is. I use labels like black, woman, queer, whatever, this, that, theater, whatever, to describe myself so I can make sense to my scal- myself. Mm-hmm. But that itself is also, like I said, I don't like to be put in a box. It's putting myself in a box. It's like, I'm a black woman, so I do this. I'm a theater major, so I do this. I, I like women sometimes. I like men sometimes, so I do this, you know? Yeah. And all of that is very confusing, and it doesn't allow to see, like, what the other side of the grass is like, you know? What if, what if my life is like if I don't define myself so heavily based off of these identities? So oh, I, like, is grass greener on the other side type deal? Yeah, or just okay, exploring okay. who I could be, you know? What's my potential? Yeah. And, it, like, what you're saying, I think those labels can be getting rid of once we have a solid idea of who our identity is. But so many people don't. They don't know because they've only been raised in a certain area or they've only been raised in a certain way. Or they just, a lot of people, I just felt very lost, especially when I started heavily identifying with being black because I was in a white school and all my friends were basically white. And I was like, I don't understand. This is not, I feel, I feel something's missing. I feel like a part of me is being unexplored. There'd be things that I just, didn't have anyone to talk to about and just things that other people wouldn't understand about me that a black person would so being able to do that allowed me to figure out what my identity is you know and I'm still discovering what that is but it just allowed me to be more I don't want to say authentic but it freed me up in a way I will say to be realize that I'm black but in the same time I'm so much more than black you're so much more than a white person and a Jewish person. You're so much more than a redhead, but I will say I'm so glad you're a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> we are all so much more. And if we did get rid of those labels and we're able to cross borders, I think that would be unique. But I also think human nature is terrible. And I think human nature to for curiosity is also has like the, the flip dark side as human nature to capitalize and colonize and take it's like the curiosity comes first it's like oh what is this and then people are like oh no now i want this thing now this thing is mine and i feel like once we don't have those labels and once we don't have like things in place to 
<laughs> help minorities figure themselves out and also help minorities from all of the discrimination and racial injustice that has happened For in this sure. country, we will have people taking advantage of there being no borders, people just there is a reason why cultural appropriation is hurtful to a community, you know? And although it would be great if we could all share, unless we can take away that hurt and that pain, then it's just going to be one group exploiting another group. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be right back. We'd like to take a second to shout out our monthly patrons. Thank you to Aaron Bachman, Marissa Arnone, Mimi Schultz, Dan Winstrup, Corbin Gulo, and Christina Shan for their continuous support of the podcast. Everything we do on this show couldn't be possible without listeners like you. Consider joining us on Patreon, where for just a dollar a month, you can support the podcast and help us even more in the conversation about Active Hope. Now, back to the episode. And we're back. And it's okay, you don't have to remember where we <laughs> left off because technically it's our job. And anyway, it's not like we really need to keep diving into that because I felt like we left on a good note. I think you yeah. left it out with a good period at the end of that statement. It's just like, unless we period do this. Per. <laughs> period. <laughs> period. 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 Okay. So. <laughs> Those are the many ways to say period and the many ways not to say period. I'll leave it up to the listeners to judge which one is actually off <laughs> But who's actually right? Nobody. Okay. Well, <laughs> so in, in this scenario, obviously, it seems like we got on this because you realized what was happening to you yeah. through modeling. And yeah. you realize these issues. And obviously, like you said before, you're going forward. You're going to be keeping these things in mind. Right. You're hoping you said a creative director. Yes. Is that the title? Yes. That you, so how are you going to go pursuing uh, the role of a, cr- a creative, creative director direction. while also maintaining this idea of like not being tokenistic and knowing what that feels like like how do you think you can prevent that from happening yeah i will say there are many ways of thinking on this like as when you're in a minority when you get to a majority space it's like what do you do do you a run shit and forget about the minorities that you left behind and just be like hey i'm doing great now so i'm just going to focus on me Mm. do you b try to help every single minority that you know along the way so that in hopes that, you know, one day we can have like equality in the majority or whatever. It's <laughs> yeah. a little utopian. Yeah. I know, that's what, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Or do you see, get there and destroy it, destroy all the system. Mm, build Which, it up from the ground. Yeah, so I kind of feel that there's, my pathway as of now, honestly, if you're listening to this, I'm not doing this, but I'll tell you my little secret. I am going to ride the wave of diversity. And I know it's terrible, and I do feel tokenized, and I do have to confront myself with my own sins and, you know, taking advantage of a system that is benefiting me for now, but is not actually meant for people like me. Hmm. But I would like to make it into the majority space. And when I am like an established creative director, model, hopefully future playwright and production company owner, after that, that is when I would like to blow everything up, you know? Mm. But I do, I hate when people are like, for progress, you have to like go through all these systems and you have to do all these steps. Cause it's all bush- bullshit, at the end of the day it's all bullshit. But this system is corrupt, and that is how this corrupt system works. So first you're going to play the game to break the game? Yeah, yeah. And I know that a lot of people have very negative views on people like me who think that way, and a lot of people who think that way because they're like, you're still playing the game. Mm -hmm. You're still playing their game. And I'm like, I'm not, you're not wrong, but I don't really have a choice not to play at all. 
Mm-hmm. That wasn't You're given to me. Doing it. It yeah, time, you know? yeah, You're and aware. I'm like trying to help people when I can, trying to like having conversations like this because I'm at Florida State. I get to be here and talk with you guys, you know. Mm-hmm. But if I had been like, I'm the only black person in this class, fuck Florida State. I'm gonna go to an HBCU. We wouldn't have this opportunity. Who knows who might be listening right now and learning something, you know? So I'm curious then. Would you call that privilege? Me being here? No, just in general, like. Like you said, yeah. like there are certain things being offered to you that, yeah, like they that aren't yeah. actually for people yes. like you. Yes. Yeah. Privilege is a thing. I, for one, know for a fact I got pretty privileged. The amount of people when I'm at the bar will hand me money, buy me a drink, try to give me a drink, pay for this, pay for that. You're a liar. <laughs> you can't see me right now. I look like I look like Miss Piggy from. <laughs> Actually, they can see you if they're watching this on video. Well, we'll see. That was well, my uh, who knows? Yeah, yeah, maybe one day. <laughs> I'll look like Miss Piggy on a different day. I promise you that. Um, but yeah, that that is a sense of privilege, you know. Mm-hmm. That's how I got. That's not the only reason I got in here. But whatever Jessica West saw in me, they didn't see in anyone else who looked like me. Yeah. So whatever that privilege is. Which is also why when people talk about white privilege, I think white people need to be aware of white privilege. But it's not really something you can escape. <laughs> like, you can't oh, no. really just, like, yeah. be like, I'm not going to participate. And so it gets me really pissed off when people are like, yeah, I don't have white privilege. And I'm like, baby, I'm not saying that you're out here being like, I'm white, I'm white. I'm just saying that you're a part of a system that was made to benefit you. You couldn't help that you were born this way. Just like I couldn't help that I was born looking like this. All I'm saying is with that white privilege, what are you going to do? You know, are you mm-hmm. going to keep upholding the system or are you going to try to dismantle it? Are you going to try to help people who don't yeah. have that privilege? Yeah, Again, yeah. it's like the A, B, and C I said before. There's so many choices. Mm-hmm. I realized like the root of all problems in humanity is supremacy. Whoever is on top wins. And once you get to the top, it's like you do have the option to just stay there. You do have the option to mm-hmm. not let anyone else up there. Hmm. That's what Putin has done to Russia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's working out yeah. really well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So... Okay, so then I'm curious then how you view um, quote unquote responsibility in this scenario. Just, I mean, honestly, everything that we've been talking about so far, because there are, I think, not any, nothing is a binary. Let's go ahead and accept that. But I'm going to go ahead and present two different opposing perspectives. Mm -hmm. One being it's everybody's responsibility, Mm -hmm. and the other being it's only the people in power's responsibility. Right. I've been waiting all night for that. that was, <laughs> that's a shamrock shake right there. Yeah, it was, it was. I personally, again, I feel like a lot of people disagree, but I don't give a fuck. I personally believe it's only the people who are in power. Okay. I'll to give an example. Uh, the 20... Damn, what year was that? 2020. 2020 election, the most decisive election we've had since, like, Al Gore. So I, at first, was very, very upset when I found other black people who didn't vote. Uh, my mm. views, my political views are much different than, and now, the more that I've learned, I've become more radicalized. Um, but at the time, I was like, well, voting for, for voting for uh, Biden is better than voting for Trump. And then people are like, those are the same two evils to me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, one is better. And I tried to make all these reasonings, and I had my own reasonings. But then I listened to those people, and I'm like, at the end of, at the, end of the day, the people who have been unjustly imprisoned and, or who have... Um, what do they call when it's like you have a federal charge against you? You're a felon? Yeah, yeah, or who have felonies and can't vote anymore, mm-hmm. or the people who are barred from voting in Georgia because of the lines. It doesn't really matter who's president. You know, those issues are still there. So at the time, I get really upset at people, but I kind of thought about it. I'm like, 
I can get upset for them not doing that, but that my goal of like establishing equity is still not solved by this presidential election. Equity. So I, yeah, so I can't really blame anyone else for the actions that they choose. And all of these black people who are not voting or people who didn't vote in general, this or the this this way or the fifth are not the ones who are affecting the legislation of this presidency. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like things are so fucking futile that it didn't matter who you voted for. We are still having black people be gunned down by police. We are still having children being taken away their family by ICE and sent off on a boat never to return, you know? So now I'm like, it's the people in power because the people with privilege, they actually have the opportunity to do something to make it change. All of our little small voices, I do believe they count, but let's be real. If we didn't have the civil rights leaders, if we, they weren't in connection with the presidents, if they were in connections with churches, shit would not have gotten done. Unless mm-hmm. you have those people with power on your side, shit doesn't get done because power only listens to power. Money only listens to money. Rich folk congressmen only listen to rich folk and other congressmen, which is why we have most of the issues we have in this country. Lobbyists. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I can probably make a good lobbyist, but I feel like I'd have to do a lot of dirty things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's why I feel like, honestly, only the people with power, because if I'm just going to stress myself out, I already have to live with the injustice. And now I have to fight the injustice when they there was never even any fight. They already set it up so I would have to lose, mm-hmm. you know? And then it gives, it makes hopelessness within the community it gets you get angry you get frustrated you want to drink you want to smoke because there's nothing you can do mm-hmm. and i don't think that responsibility should really be on the people who can't quite change as much as the people in the big house could yeah thing i think a lot of people are starting to feel the same way even outside black communities mm-hmm. I and mean, I, I, there's a lot of a lot of people who are waking up to the fact that the two-party system doesn't work yeah and it's just it's all based on giving a lot of talking a lot of talk Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and every once in a while like here's here's something funny they just passed in congress that daylight savings is no longer a thing (laughs) and it's like oh wow wow everybody agreed on that but we can't solve the actual shit that's going on yeah and it's like it's like what are we doing like what are we doing i okay the great Great, I don't have to lose an hour of sleep or anymore. But I don't get to gain an hour of sleep. But the thing is, is like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Like, what are we doing in that in that room? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we are so fucked deep in the hole in this country yeah. that even if we took away the systems, we would still have the laws, like in rules and regulations, for someone to even run for presidency. Mm-hmm. And that alone cancels a hell of yeah. people. <laughs> like, there's just like a lot. so many. There's so many steps that we have to undo for this country, guys. Sometimes people will ask me like, "What should we do? Like, where do you think this country should go?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I'm not fucking Oprah." But if you want to ask my little two cents, I have no idea what this country would look like if it wasn't so systemically fucked up. Yeah. I don't know because every process for mayor, for governor, for senator, all of these processes are fucked up. And then when you finally do get like good, honest people who are worried about the population and their needs in there, you have fucking DeSantis's dumbasses who are overruling them. You know, you have people with more power, who have more lobbyists, who have more money, and who are still running shit. Even when you think you have a seat at the table, People have cut the table in half and you're actually like floating in a river like three miles away. You're nowhere near the fucking table. Yeah. There's a huge part about this, which I know that you can empathize with being in modeling. Huh? I did not hear the first. Oh, sorry. (laughs) A huge part about this, which I know you can empathize with because you were 
involved with modeling, you have it involved with modeling, is how these companies, these politicians run their ad campaigns, yeah. which is primarily what these lobbyists put money toward. Mm -hmm. So like like the meat industry, for mm -hmm. example, and like backing politicians who aren't going to be like promoting alternative uh, methods of eating, you know, really? stuff like that. But oh my gosh. It's, I disagree. It's huge. Well, I look at like KFC, Burger King, they're all having that impossible and they're all promoting like vegan Because food. now it's marketable. But they're not oh, stopping yeah. their other... It, you know, if they if KFC came out and said, "Oh, I'm gonna stop my," it's literally Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's almost like it's almost like they're, <laughs> they're doing that they not only to open up a market for like vegans to come mm -hmm. buy their stuff, but it also ends up being this thing I think where a lot of younger people who aren't vegan say to themselves, "Oh, look." KFC is trying to do something good. I'm gonna yes, go buy their yes. chicken. Yes, and it's it's all it's all pretense. Mm -hmm. It's all yeah. like trying to seem. All of politics is just a facade. It's just trying to seem like something you're not. I feel like most of this is what this world has groomed you to be. If you want to be seen as like super smart, if you want to be seen as super pretty, if you want to see super talented, you have to do that all the time. You can't really have a human experience which allows you to have like ups and downs. You have to seem like this thing and only be this thing. Mm -hmm. But I do appreciate going back to playing the game to break the game. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't remember who the specific individuals were. It was during the height of the Black Lives Matter movement because mm -hmm. I know the Black Lives Matter movement has been around for years. Mm -hmm. But it's just that it reached its peak during yeah. 2020, you know. And um, why am I talking to you like you don't know this? Um, but these these two people sitting across from one another is one person like a lawmaker. It was it was from, in New York. Mm -hmm. I know this is where it was taking place. The one guy who was like the governor, I think, of New mm -hmm. York. Um, and there was a black man, and he was in the, I don't know, he wasn't on the podium, let's put it that way. And basically they were, like, giving all the reasons why, you know, he needs to not be mayor anymore. He needs to not be governor yeah. or whatever. It's, like, basically all of these bad things. And what I really appreciated is, like, going back to playing the game to break the game. This guy, um, not the governor, this guy breaking down all these reasons, I mean, he gave statistics and Dana was like mm -hmm. showing us like all of your police officers mm -hmm. are coming in from out of the city, mm -hmm. which is pooling in revenue from out of the city mm -hmm. going into the mm -hmm. um, like the inland part of the state, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's like, it's keeping these lower income families in these lower income circumstances. Yeah. Whereas if you, you know, change these certain things and it's like the way that he articulated that and the way that he was able to beat those politicians at their own game, right. I felt was so effective, yeah. you know, regardless of what skin color these people were, yeah. you know? And and so it's almost like, and then it, you know, there's that perspective and there's yeah. the opposite perspective of like, well, then tear it down. Why, like, yeah. we, let's Why not deal with it? this shit anymore. Yeah, that's we outnumber a, them so that's much. That's a revolution. Yeah. That's yeah. You know, and it's like, that's, where where do you cross that line? And, and I wanna say this, I wanna say this just in case the revolution does happen. What the fuck am I gonna, I'm not picking up no arms. I'm not, I think what you're saying, I really, I truly feel in my heart. I'm like, that is the only way. I don't see there any other option, but who am I fighting? How am I going to fight them? Cause it's not just like a race relation war. It's like the lower and middle class up against it's the It's a socioeconomic issue. I, yeah. think that, I think that race really is a huge part of the discussion, but I think more than anything, mm -hmm. it's an economic thing. Right? And how are we it's gonna fight problem. those people? Like how Which do Which started we... as a race problem. Yeah, yes, no, exactly. they made yeah. into They're a race problem. Like, 
it's they're... deflecting. Yeah. All of our little issues. I think about this all the time. I'm like, I am really just a soul. Why do I have beef with other souls? We're all suffering in yeah. n- numerous different ways. <laughs> Are you Buddhist? <laughs> yeah. Are you Buddhist? No, I'm actually Baptist. You say a lot of Buddhist stuff. I had a lot of Buddhist friends in high school. It was actually kind of like a trend for them. So RIP to them. <laughs> but I do. Okay, if we want to talk about religion, I was talking to my roommate about this. I personally feel that all of the religions all have a belief in like a higher power, you know, something else out in this world. I also, I'm like, why is there separation in religions? Like I get that. I personally believe in God, Father, the Holy Son, and Buddhists believe in they just dot, believe dot, dot. Um, <laughs> not, yeah, not too sure. But I'm like, if this is all, we're all talking of, we're all in different, this is going to sound very Buddhist. We are all part of the same conscious and different bodies living different experiences but it's all a part of the same experience we're all saying the same thing yes we are all saying the same thing in different languages and different sizes and different fonts all of the time mm-hmm. and i just i don't get the concept of war i don't get the conscious of the concept of state lines and like how are you going to say this spot of land is different from this spot of land if you cross this spot of land now you're illegal yeah i personally the way my brain works none of that makes sense to me ever and even racism even colorism even homophobia i see it I see other people see it. It just doesn't connect in my brain. It just, I understand right. why they do it, but it's never going to make, I'm never going to be like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just going to be like, okay, but why? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and that's what got me to like realizing it's supremacy because I'm, I'm never going to understand that need to be more than somebody else because I do feel secure enough in myself, even though I'm just like a small little dot on this planet of hundreds and thousands of circles and lines and all these bigger things around me. I'm never going to feel less than or more than anyone else. I'm just trying to be less than or more than my own self. Hmm. Thing. By the way, you yeah. said before we started the podcast that you weren't good at segueing, and you've basically only done that this whole oh, really? time. You've done really? such a good job. I haven't had to do anything this whole time. I'm just throwing questions at you. Really? It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would love, since we're on the topic, and I would love to stay on a on a positive note as yeah. we uh, go toward wrapping the episode up mm-hmm. but i would love to know about your experience with faith just what what you yeah. what's your relationship with god like what's mm-hmm. prayer like you know mm-hmm. and then yeah we'll go from there yeah i will say i was raised in the church i was raised in north carolina very very baptist family my sister was a singer in the church i was in youth lead usher it was like mia if you want to hang out with your friends saturday night you better be ready to wake up sunday morning and go to church <laughs> always <laughs> That's how it was. And then I never really liked it. I did connect what they were saying sometimes because I was lucky enough to go to a church that was, I would say for the most part, wasn't hateful. I'm sure there are things ingrained in my brain that I don't remember that was probably spiteful and harmful to different communities. But I remember my preacher talking about people that shit on gay people are going to hell. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I remember. I remember because that was when I was starting to develop my sexuality. And I was like, that's nice to know. I was like, thank you so much. Or just like talking about sharing love and giving people a lot of opportunities. My church wasn't as fear oriented as I feel like a lot of Christian churches were. So it was also very different when I'd walk into school. And then I had a lot of friends who were not religious or against Christianity because of the harm it's done as a whole. And they'd come to me and they'd be like, so you believe this and you believe that? And I'd be like, no, actually, I don't. I don't really feel that way. I kind of just fuck with my religion and I'm not trying to put it on anyone else and I don't Mm. think anyone else's is wrong either because you know I know it's not I can't say that's in the bible but I personally believe that all these religions are the same in the first place so I have no problems with anyone and Mm. then I would say after high school I I formed a negative during high school I formed um, a negative opinion of church because my dad stopped going to church 
because he thought that our pastor was asking for too much money, which I'm not sure of. Um, I do know a lot of pastors will take from the congregation, but I also think my church was helping a lot. I'm just not sure. Embezzlement is huge. Yeah. Yeah. I just know my dad was against it. But then church was more than just for religion purposes for my family. It was like... It was for presentation purposes, you know? We went to church and dressed nice so then they could, like, kiki with other church ladies and talk about how smart me right. and my sister were. Right. It was for all of this. It was just showing face, basically. Clout. Yes, and my mom would force me to go with her because she was afraid to go alone. She, you don't, as a, as a woman, you don't go to the church. Where's your husband? Is there problems in your family? Did Greg leave? Mm. And my father didn't, but my mom, I would hear older ladies asking my, my mom, like, where's Greg? We haven't seen him in a while. Is Greg doing okay? And I'm like, why are they asking about my dad? It would make my mom really tense. And I knew that I was her covering because anytime they asked about my dad, she could just deflect and be like, well, Nia's doing this and acting and Nia's doing that. And you know what I mean? I was her cover up so she wouldn't seem weak in the church arena. Mm. And then I got to college and I was like, fuck that. I was like, that was weird. That was mind blowing. And that was like hard for me to have to be there for my mom when I was uncomfortable in the first place. And... I probably wasn't as religious. I say my freshman year, and then when COVID hit, I went home and I started reading some scriptures, and I also started just listening more. I realized that I was a place in my life that I didn't know anything about who I was. Nothing was what I thought it was. I was very, very hopeless at the time because COVID was also peak of Black Lives Matter, and I was writing some very dark poetry. It was a hard time to be black, honestly. Every single day, I'm just seeing people shot. I'm seeing people yell at people who look like me just for wanting the right to live. It was hard to think that anything I did would have an effect on anyone and that I had any purpose or meaning in my life. And so just talking to God and being able to surrender to a higher power and think that someone else has control of all of this and that's all not just on my shoulders, that personally made me feel so much better. And I was just also very lost and confused at that time. Like I have a weird relationship with my family and I was always with my family because it was during COVID. So it was like me trying to battle the darkness of my past in the area that reminded me of it the most and I just needed something to look and seek to and then when I came back to college I was heavily depressed last year for my sophomore year and I kept trying to turn to God but it wasn't really working and then I was like I have to make this an active choice I have to really choose to believe in God not just because I was raised this way or because I don't want to go to hell or because I think it'll be good for me because I want to do it and I believe that there's something more and I will genuinely say that within the past year, I have heard God talk to me. I have feel like I have seen signs from God, the universe, whatever anyone else wants to call it, I will call it God. But there have been times when I'm like, okay. I will say even last night, last night. I have one of those, oh, right? crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last night I was crying. Um, my ever, <laughs> a fun fact of me is I am always, I have a deathly fear that I will never be like truly in love. Like I have a deathly fear of it because it's like the thing that I want like most in the world and it scares me to my core that I'm not going to be able to experience that even though I've convinced myself I'm like my life is so much more than just showing and receiving love it is like a big thing that I want you know and I'll talk to God I'll be like hey you know I said I wasn't gonna cry about this but here we are and I'll be like God I don't know what to do I don't know why I feel this way I don't know why my life has been like this to this point I don't know why this thing doesn't work out for me and it was it was like before, it hasn't been a conversation, but literally yesterday, and again, I will say, was it probably some of my consciousness trying to, like, get me to a better place? Yes, but I was having a conversation. There were words flowing out of me, and I'm like, okay, you're right. 
And I know I have a very anxious brain. So God, I feel like he clears out the anxiety too, because my anxiety will bring in these thoughts that just aren't me. They aren't true. And they will live in my brain as if they are law. And it drives me insane because I'm very logical, but I'm also very emotional. So my emotions are spinning out of control. My logical brain is trying to get a handle, but you can't, you can't put logic on fear, on pain. None of that makes sense in of itself. But if I can tie my emotions to God and I can also tie my logic to God, that's how I bring it all together. That's what gives me peace at night. That's how I feel calm and serene. And that's how I'm able to do things. Also, when I think, okay, if I can put my faith into something as strong as God, I can fucking put my faith into myself. I believe the harder that I believe in God and love God, the more I feel like I love and believe in myself because I've seen the things that God has done in my life. I've seen how he's changed me, how I feel about certain things. I look at like where I was last year versus where I am this year. And I just like smile because I really like last year was really hard for me and it was really hard to get myself out of that. But I did. And I know I could do it a hundred times over because of my relationship with God. Also because of how I've developed since then, but a lot because of my relationship with God. I'm so, it's so cool to hear how you have been able to so far like effectively balance logic and faith mm-hmm. because there are those, we've had them on the podcast, that, <laughs> that, fir- that firmly believe, at least at the moment, <laughs> that the two are um, mutually, exclusive. mutually exclusive. You know, yeah. and that it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's not really possible to balance the two. Right. But from what you're telling us right now, it seems like you were able to do that in your yeah. life. I'm also, I, I, I feel like that must be a mutually exclusive thing to fucking me. Because I feel that way about so many things. I've just always been like, why come the Big Bang and God creating the world in seven days? Why, why do those have to be two different things? Why can it all be a part of the same process? My mind has just always worked in trusting that there are things I just don't know. I don't really believe in history. Not because it's like, oh, history isn't real, but I wasn't fucking there. I didn't experience it. Half of that shit was probably made up. If I'm being honest, I've told this to my parents. I do believe that the Bible has been corrupted. And God forgive me because, you know, that is kind of a sin to say, but I have to say what I believe. I am a Christian, but I do, I wouldn't say I follow it to the T. I have my own brain. And when I was talking to my pastor, he was like, how do you know if you really have faith if you don't question God ever? If you just believe in something blindly without ever thinking and having opinions on your own, how do you know if you truly have faith? You know, if you've never been tested, if you never have reasons for the things that you say, think, and do, how do you know that it's real? Mm-hmm. I feel that way about God. I feel like because I'm logical, I'm. if I die, I do believe in heaven and hell. But I'm like, if I die and there's nothing there, I'm like, at least I had God to help me get through the bad times, you know? I don't see it as a losing situation. And I also... I'm aware that not all people think the way I do. So that's why I'd be like, oh, I call it God, you call it the universe. I call it God, you call it enlightenment, you know, because I'm aware that other people have different coping mechanisms to get them through life. And this is just the way I do it. This is what I believe. And personally, my God, when we die, I don't believe that it's going to be only the people who follow the Lord during their life. I think because we can never know what, what else is out there, that my God will give us all a chance to open our minds and then choose what we want. And I don't think it'll just be like choosing God. I think it'll be like choosing like goodness, like care, kindness, anything that's like enlightening, basically choosing Nirvana or choosing to live in this hell cycle. And I know we're about to wrap up, but I do have an idea. I do have a thought. I think that what if this is hell? You know, what if we're fighting our way through hell? And once we figure out the key, once we figure out why 
we how to find peace with all this cruelty and this darkness around us how to find a way to love others and have an unconditional love for others maybe that's like what salvation is you know and maybe that's when this life ends we we go to heaven or you keep repeating the same life in hell you are literally <laughs> that is buddhism yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm to say it is, it is life dude. is suffering until you find nirvana and when you and, yeah. and until you find nirvana yeah. you just yeah. keep going through the cycle of yeah. karma and blah blah samsara blah. Exactly. Yeah. and that's why i'm like probably true i just call that god you know yeah i'm like why can't like this all vibe, be true though. i like that thought it's cool yeah. and i think again i'm so glad you said what you what i call god maybe you call the universe or maybe you mm-hmm. call enlightenment and i think that's another big thing beyond separating because you know some people set some people think only logic is the way and there are those who only think faith and mysticism is the way and Mm -hmm. i think to be a a well-balanced and truthfully spiritual you know the whole point of buddhism i'll just use that as the example is to find truth at the Mm -hmm. end of the day truth and like clarity in life and oftentimes the truth is we don't fucking know anything yes um and i think (laughs) and i I think most religions are saying that most Mm -hmm. religions are saying what you're saying which is you know the idea of just believe in god and have faith is the same thing as we don't know anything Mm -hmm. so just try to be good which is why anytime i see someone like when i see billionaires stealing from companies or just like Kanye West who have just mostly forgotten about the black community I just I try to get upset but I'm like you know what he is trying his hardest through this life thing in my if we were going according to my life guides he'd be failing but this isn't my life it's his life he has his own path his own rules and like I don't think he's trying to be the best he is, but I know he's trying to survive and live you know it allows for more tolerance when I'm like I deeply disagree with this so deep down in my pussy i disagree with this person (laughs) but but they are just going based off of what they know what they've experienced and trying to live and that gives me a little bit of compassion even for people that i want to slap the shit that doesn't mean that you is it that doesn't mean you want them to keep doing what they're doing no that's just you being like okay yeah, I'm, I'm like, gonna accept the fact that they're doing this and I'm mad about it. Yeah. I'm like, and I'm gonna choose to do better. I was talking yeah. to like a friend and she was like, I don't want people that have hurt me to be hurt. And I was like, no, I don't want people that have hurt me to be hurt either. I want people that have hurt me to recognize the hurt that they've done and choose to be better. That yes. would give me so much more peace yes. in my heart if someone like apologize and then did better even if they didn't apologize if they just did better the other people that would make me feel way better than seeing them actually suffer for their like consequences yeah. and i think that is the problem with like a lot of religions or any laws that have strict yes or no's people are always continuing to suffer it's not encouraging people to do better in the future it's just punishing them for who they are and then we also have all these little humans with their little corrupt minds and they're like well i can use this to manipulate this person and control this person and that's mm. how shit gets so fucked up Yep. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, God, never said that. Yeah, every time I think <laughs> about how, you know, because the whole deal with the, and we're wrapping up here, but um, the whole deal with the podcast, you know, emphasizing hope and everything mm-hmm. and how, you know, we all have a part to play. Great. You know, it's try to keep it all positive. And then I remind myself that serial killers exist and mm-hmm. people who participate in human trafficking exist. Yeah. Um, like there are so many people mm-hmm. who 
hurt and exploit other people. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I am a person and I'm going to do my best to help people in the way that I know how, which me being raised by a pastor is talking. Yeah. <laughs> at least at the moment, right? <laughs> and I would, and I don't want it to stop here. I want mm-hmm. my activism to grow into right. something. And I'm hoping that this will naturally lead me to it yeah. in some way or another. But on that note and on this emphasizing hope and I've, I'm glad that we were able to get on this this positive track toward the end here and I want to know it doesn't have to be one thing mm-hmm. um, and you may have already said it but mm-hmm. what brings you hope in the world there's a song it's called Mango by Kamau I didn't know how to fucking say that so can you spell it <laughs> yes K-A-M-A-U-U um, mm-hmm. and it goes the first verse is, like, talking about what happens if you find someone that could, like, love you better than I can or if you leave me. And then the chorus is, because I love you and what love is, it's never selfish. It's never hurtful. I love you and I love myself and I love what love is. And it's just, like, singing about that. And that song is a feeling of hope to me, just reminding that even though there are real shit people out here, I can't forget the fact. Because I'll have conversations with my higher self and I'm like, why? do I ever come into conflict with people if I'm always trying to be my higher self? And I forget, not everyone's on that wave. But reminding myself that as long as I am and I'm putting love out there, and if I'm just loving someone with my maximum capacity and trying to love everyone and trying to do the thing, trying and just thinking of like how pure love is gives me hope. Again, mm. my worst fear is not being in love. So you see how that's like an internal <laughs> conflict yeah, for me? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but thinking about love gives me so much hope that... As much as humanity has a really dark nature, it also has a really beautiful mm-hmm. nature. And that, like, the most random things can bring out love and hope within a person. Like, seeing people sing, seeing, um, I don't know if you were there, but for the world of beer, when, like, our classmates were, like, singing, we were all gathered oh, yeah, to support, yeah, yeah. that made me so happy. Thinking mm. about how simple and kind humans can be does bring me hope. And also, once I have freed myself from my suffering for real... I won't even have a fear of death and everything will bring me hope because everything will be beautiful. Everything will be leading me to more love, light, and happiness. And I just think about like once I have, when people are like, once I hit my peak, bitches can't touch me. But for real, once I have hit my peak, like emotionally and intellectually, and I'm really just there and I'm fully present all the time and I don't let things, I don't take anything personal for agreements. I follow all of that higher learning shit. For agreements, Yes, yes. Once I do that, Nothing will be able to stop me. So I just have hope for, I don't know, I have hope for moments of change. I don't have Mm. hope for, like, worldwide. I just, I don't know, the feeling of hope, I've lost it a lot. But what brings me hope is just knowing that happiness may be temporary, but it does exist. And knowing I can find things that will bring me love and happiness. Cool. Well, what do you do, then, to bring hope into the world to contribute to that hope? That's a good question. I was talking to someone, I feel like my purpose on this earth is to inspire others. You know how they always say like, you don't want to be the first at something because the first person gets like jailed or like killed. Um, But you want to be like the people that follow after them. You know, the first person. I feel like I'm the one that paves the way. And I hope that I give others hope by me being myself, by me being a black woman who's queer in theater. 
who has a different hairstyle all the time, who really likes shamrock shakes and isn't afraid to say it, you know? <laughs> I, yeah. I hope that I give hope by showing people that there is a way to do the things that they want, even though it might be scary, it might be hard, no one's ever done it before, but there is a way to do it and that there is a space for everyone and nobody is too niche or too general to be special. You're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was a great conversation. It really, really was. Yeah. And as Nia put it, you can never be too niche or too general. There's always something that makes you special. And hopefully you found some hope today. Thanks for listening to The Only Constant. We hope today's episode made you feel a little more hopeful or changed your perspective in some way. If you want to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Only Constant Podcast or check us out at OnlyConstantPodcast.com. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating or review for the show helps us immensely. And we'd appreciate the feedback. None of this would be possible without you, the listener. Thanks for all your support, and we'll see you next time. Stay open, stay active, and keep listening.